open up our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 42. This won't be our main text today, but I wanted to begin here. About 2,700 years ago, um, there was a man in the Middle East, uh, in the nation of Israel, that was preaching and teaching the people. By and large in the world at that time, um, well, not just by and large, everywhere in the world at that time, in Asia, in India, uh, in Africa, in Europe, our own ancestors, generations upon generations had gone by without any um, slightest glimmer of hope, of salvation, or of even hearing of a Messiah or a Savior. And there was this man... Uh, here in Israel, this one little country right off the Mediterranean coast, preaching and telling the people about one who was to come, uh, this promised one, who upon his coming, everything would change in the world. But this, whoever this person was, when he came, it was going to have a global impact. It was going to affect all of the peoples of the world that for generations had been passed by living in idolatry, in fear, in blindness, in slavery to sin. And um, I just want to read one of these prophecies, Isaiah chapter 42, in verse 1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations, to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. This is his character. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands, distant coastlands, will wait expectantly for his law, his instruction, his message. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. This is the Father speaking to the Son. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Behold, they spring forth. I proclaim them to you. And flipping your Bibles with me over to Luke, chapter 2, 700 years later. There was a man in the temple, in the same land, the same country, and there was a baby. Verse 25 of Luke chapter 2, And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death, 
before he had seen the Lord's Christ or Messiah. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. These are wonderful things. But upon at this point in the history of the world, when the promised one had come, everything began to change. And Jesus Christ himself, speaking about himself, I have come as light into the world that everyone who believes in me would no longer uh, remain in darkness. And this light was concentrated at this time in the land of Israel. And it was moving around because it was him. He was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. And he was traveling through these districts and these villages and teaching. And it was just beginning to spread. This is 2,000 years ago. And still only concentrated there in this one country. And he was traveling around the villages. And that's where I want us to pick up today in Matthew chapter 9. This one who is the light of the world. Matthew chapter 9, and this will be where we'll spend the rest of our time. I'd like to speak to you this morning on Christ, um, his words here, his life here, um, and on him being the Lord of the harvest, the Lord of the harvest. So let's read Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35 through 38. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed, they were harassed, and dispirited, that is, thrown down, literally, if you look in your margin, dispirited, thrown down, like sheep with a shepherd, no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And so I just want to go through this text and just look at his life and the things he said here and apply some of these things um, to ourselves. That's, that's my hope of what to do this morning. So notice, first of all, in verse 36, he's traveling around, and it says, Seeing the people... And uh, literally, this is, if you look in your margins, crowds, these, these, these crowds. And um, if you notice, in the life of Jesus Christ, he rarely ever, unless he really made effort, could get alone. I mean, it's, especially in the book of Mark, if you read through it, everywhere he's going, the crowds are there. I mean, so much so uh, that the scripture says there were times uh, when they, they missed the meal or when he had to stay up very late and couldn't get to sleep at night because of these crowds. So much so um, that the Bible, over more than one time in the Gospels, tells us that Jesus Christ was teaching from a boat. You say, why? It's kind of a weird spot to pick to deliver your sermons. I'll sit out in a boat and you guys sit here on the land. But he had to because they were so pressing in upon him all the time in order to keep some distance so he could actually address and speak to the people. 
He was surrounded by these crowds, all of the clamor and all of the noisiness. And um, notice, uh, notice what it says. He says, seeing the crowds, he saw them. It's, it, it appears to me that, you know, right here it says he's healing every kind of sickness and disease. It's like people are pressed in upon him. You've got a mother here with her sick baby or something, just like talking to him right there in his face. And it's like he gets a faraway look in his eyes for a moment. And uh, beyond just whoever's right in front of him and, and looks out and begins to see all of these people uh, around him like sheep without a shepherd. And um, it's like he catches a glimpse again of the devastating effects of sin and the lostness of the world and um, these multitudes around him. And notice what it says. It says he felt compassion. Verse 36, he felt compassion for them. Literally filled with tenderness. That's incredible. And, um, I mean, the reason this is incredible is because I want you to consider in your own life, if you're really hungry, if you got bad sleep last night, and if you had hundreds of people gathering around you, touching you all, I mean, even if you have one person that just touches you all the time, I mean, it's like, you know, it's the most annoying thing in the world if if someone sits next to you and keeps doing this. But Christ, everywhere he was going, I mean, his power, virtue was constantly going out of his life, everywhere he went. And um, his reaction was not annoyance. I guarantee, for most of us, our reaction would be annoyance and hard-heartedness. I mean, in the midst of all this, if we were trying to walk in his shoes. But it was not so with him. Everywhere, and I mean, you have to think about this. These, these were not like polite, moral people that were standing in line, waiting their turn patiently to have their chance with Christ. That's not what it was. They were just this, they were sinful, lost, uneducated village people. I mean, that were demanding, I'm sure, even from Christ. And um, his reaction, far from being annoyed, uh, was one of love. Love was pouring out of his life constantly, all the way into the cross. And even then, for the, for the very ones that tortured him, love was coming out of his life. It says, verse 36, he felt compassion for them. Why? Because they were distressed, they were harassed, beat down, dispirited, like sheep having no shepherd. Why, why, Lord Jesus, did you feel this way about these people? What was your reaction to seeing them? Why, why did you feel compassion? And the reason is because he looked in their faces, and what did he see? He saw a people that were thrown down, that were harassed, that were beaten down by the devil. He saw a multitude of people who were so deceived that they loved the very thing that was killing them, their own sins, the very things that their, lo- that their flesh was lusting after, that they thought was so good. He's watching them being happily deceived by the multitude, the very things that are damning them and killing them and are going to eventually lead to them being forever lost in hell. So he felt love. He saw, he saw these ones that were ignorantly having no shepherd, being led to the slaughter, having no one to look after them. And he felt a compassion for them. What, what happens to, to sheep that don't have a shepherd if they're out in the wilderness? The same thing always happens to sheep that don't have a shepherd that are out in the middle of the wilderness. They die. I mean, that's what's going to happen to them. If there's not someone there to protect them, they're absolutely defenseless. The wolf will surely get them, and they're surely going to perish. That, that's what happens to sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus, he saw this, and he felt for them. 
Now let me ask let me ask us a question this morning, and that is do we see the crowds? Are are we seeing the same thing that Christ saw? Are we are we feeling the same way that Christ felt? Because the truth is the crowds, the people, the multitudes, are all around us. They're they're in our missionary reports, they're on the nightly news. They're trapped in a multi-million, if not billion-dollar industry called the sex slave trade and human trafficking. Most of these sheep live in Asia. Most of the world's population is in Asia. Um, They fill our high schools. That's where they are. They're living and dying among us, the crowds, the multitudes, without Christ. They're in prisons right here in northern Missouri, um, um, with the, and met with slaves to methamphetamines living all around us in darkness. I mean, Adair County is one of the meth capitals of the world. I mean, they're, these sheep without a shepherd are living all around us. Um, so let's, let's ask ourselves a question. Do we feel the same way that Christ felt? Do we feel anything in our hearts? And let me say something. I I love doctrine. I believe in Doctrine, I think it's good. I think we should know doctrine. We should study doctrine. We should know the Bible very well. Um, and we're particularly blessed, I mean, to be in this church, to be under Charles, to be under Dick. I mean, just constantly, all the time, just sound doctrine, truth, and it's wonderful. But I would tell you this. I would be willing to give up half, if not most, of what I know to only know the bare essentials if I could follow in the footsteps of Christ in this one regard of having a heart of compassion. I mean, if I, I'm not just preaching these things to you, I'm preaching these things to myself. I mean, if I could really enter in to the love of Christ for the lost, I would trade all of what I know. Because, I mean, what, what, what are the big things? We all know what the big things are, don't we? It's love. And so God help us to walk in this way, to weep as Christ did over Jerusalem. Lord, help us. Verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It's as if Christ, being gripped by this, seeing this, seeing this reality, he turns to his disciples and he's saying, Don't don't you see what I'm seeing right now? Don't you get what's happening? These these two overwhelming realities hit him. One there are vast harvest fields. I have no doubt when Christ looked upon the crowds, he was even looking past them to the Roman Empire, thinking about it, thinking about Europe, thinking about Asia. I mean, Christ knew he, he'd come to redeem a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And um, it's a, it's, he was gripped by these two realities. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And it's been this way throughout church history. Plentiful harvest overwhelming numbers of human souls and relatively few labors. And I, I, I remember when I was in Bangladesh, early in the morning I'd be sitting out there in the rice fields and I'd see about 15 guys walk by. And um, they, uh, they all had their little size. There weren't any machines out there in the field. They were harvesting. It was harvest time for the rice they did it three times a year. And they all go out there and work nine hours straight, bent over, you know what I mean, just cutting this rice. But I mean, I, I decided to follow them one morning to see where they out where they were going, uh, and I, 
as I followed them, I found it was just miles upon miles of rice fields. I mean, they're just like plains. And um, the thing is, if you, if if I just saw a couple guys going out there, if there were just two or three of them, and I went out and I followed those two or three guys out there to see what 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 are you guys doing? And then I looked at the amount of harvest that there was and saw that there was only two or three of them. It doesn't matter how hard they labor. It doesn't matter if they gave, I mean, if they worked 24 hours a day, it wouldn't make a difference because those three people are not, it's just not going to cut it. The only logical conclusion you can reach is there's not going to be a harvest. I mean, maybe we'll get a little bit, but by and large, there won't be unless laborers are sent out. It was the case there, it's the case in the natural realm, and it's the case here. And so Christ sees these things, and the question comes up, okay, these, the, these overwhelming realities are here, these, these people really exist all over the world in our own country. What, what can be done? What would be the one word that would come to your mind if you thought, what can be done? Would it be the word Go. He said, pray. He said, beseech the Lord of the harvest. Pray. This was the first thought that came into the heart and mind of Christ. Upon seeing these multitudes, this was the first thing. This is what he wanted his disciples to hear, to think about, to know. It was this word, beseech. And literally, in the Greek, it means earnestly to implore or to beg eagerly. It's the same Greek word that was used in translating Christ, that demon begged Christ. He said, I beseech you, do not torment me. He's begging for his life. This is the very same word that's used here. Christ, Christ saw this overwhelming reality, and this was the thought that came to his mind, beseech, cry out unto God, earnestly implore God. For what? For laborers. For, some, for someone to be sent out here, for, for, for light to go out here in this vast sea of darkness. I remember um, about two years ago, I was talking with Brother Bob, and um, I think it was in the morning we were sitting out in his van or something talking. And um, he told me, he was reading this, these, these verses to me, and he was humbly confessing to me that he felt like, and I mean, he prays more than almost any man that I know. And he was telling me that he felt like over the years he'd just never seen this verse as it really is, that he never, I mean, it's a specific command of Jesus Christ, something we're specifically to be praying for. And um, he was just telling me he felt like he, it never really hit him before. That this is, this is a, the command of Christ, that we'd be praying for, for laborers, specifically for workers. And it really struck me then. So here's the question I'd like to propose to ourselves today. Um, is this particular command of Christ being consistently obeyed in my life? Am I, am I praying to the Lord of the harvest for laborers to go out into the harvest fields. Secondly, is this, is this burden that Christ had when he saw these things, is this a burden for us in our own prayer meetings? That's a fair question. Um, are, is, this, is this command real in my own life, in person, in my personal times, and in the prayer meeting? And the reason why I ask these questions is because it is a temptation and it is easy to get caught up in ourselves, in our own life. That's, that's the truth. And um, I, I'm not saying, that, like, just pointing my finger at you guys, I'm saying this is true in my own life. You spend a lot of time around believers, you begin to forget how wicked and how dark the world really is. I mean, um, 
we had um, a young man that was lost come and stay at our house recently. And I don't think the guys even did anything exceptionally spiritual, but they were just, they weren't talking bad about women and they weren't cursing. And he was shocked just being around them. You know, I mean, that's incredible. You forget what it's like to be in the world. And every now and then, you know, I get a fresh wake-up call. I go on the college campus and hear people having conversation around me. Or you go overseas, and again, you get a fresh glimpse that the multitudes are there in bondage to Hinduism and fears and idolatry and under Islam's dark sway. And you realize, again, that these things are real and um, that they really are there, these, these crowds, these multitudes, they're there. And the truth is, you know, it's not wrong to pray for the things that we pray for, the things that we bring up in prayer. I mean, it's not wrong to pray for your family, for needs, for traveling, for this or that. But what I'd like to propose to you is that it is wrong if these things become bigger than the perishing multitudes, than the, the salvation of a soul. I mean, these, you know, everything in the Christian life matters to God. It's true. I mean, everything, every individual thing about our life, it does matter to God. God does care. But I want to tell you, some things in the Bible are very big. And the salvation of souls is a very weighty, big thing. And the conversion of the nations, that's, that's big. That's one of the overarching themes of the scripture. I mean, this is, these are some of the big things that God is doing in the world. And so it's my prayer and my hope that these things particularly would be upon our heart uh, as it was upon the heart of Christ. You may say, well, I have a lot. That's great, you know. I mean, but here and now, I mean, I've got all these pressures. I've got family issues, house issues, job issues, you know, all, all these things crowding in upon me. To which I would reply that you have no more pressures upon you than Jesus Christ had upon him while he was upon the earth and what he was going through. I mean, no one, none of us have ever experienced the pressure that was upon him while he was upon the earth. And I mean, what was it to find him after an exhausting, busy day? to find him alone on the Mount of Olives with loud cryings and tears pleading for England. I mean, that's the only reason why we're converted here today is because he was, inter- he was interceding then. He was our intercessor. He was pleading for the nations. That's the only reason why we're saved. Consider also what, what a privilege it is to be able to pray these things, to be able to pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Your average man, by and large, he, he, he's not thinking about the world. He's got his job. He wakes up in the morning, does his job in Kirksville or whatever, goes to sleep at night, does the next, same thing the next day. Maybe he looks on CNN, hears some, glint, uh, you know, some report about Iran and thinks, oh, something's going over there in Iran. But the Christian is to be different. Um, and that is that, that we would be a globally-minded people. Think about this. We can travel all over the world in our own bedrooms by prayer. That's incredible. I mean, the fact that you could be in your room, and if you were to devote 10 minutes of your time every day to Mongolia in prayer for the unreached of Mongolia, and you did that for the rest of your life, do you honestly think that nothing would take place there, that things would not change? I mean, is God willing to hear prayer? Did Christ command this for a reason? I mean, did he believe that God would act if we, if we would ask him for these things? I think the answer is yes, he would. Things would change. God, God to be able to partake in this ministry, 
And think about this. All of us can do it. When Jesus gave this command, there's no one, there's no Christian that can't fulfill this command. You might not have a a great job, you know, where you're bringing in lots of money. You don't have a lot to be dishing out into missions and for these things. You know, you may not be some eloquent speaker and you may have physical ailments that would hinder you from physically doing things, but all of us can pray. Uh, All of us can seek God and affect the world. I remember John Piper was preaching one time to a group of men and he was preaching saying, he's like, do you think I go to the Friday morning prayer meeting every week for the past 20 years at 5 a.m. with this little group of four or five people. And there's only four or five people that go to that prayer meeting from the whole uh, Bethlehem Baptist Church. But he says, do you think I go there and think that nothing's going to happen? And he's just saying, I believe that little group of people moves the world. That's incredible. It's true. I mean, it really is true. Those five group of people faithfully meeting, they're praying for world missions. I mean, things were taking place as a result of that. God was hearing from heaven. Labors are being sent out. J.C. Ryle, he said, This above all is the way to procure helpers to carry on Christ's work, to take out that light into the darkness. Colleges may educate men, bishops may ordain them, patrons may give them livings, but God alone can raise up and send forth labors who will do work among souls. There's only one person as the Lord of the harvest that can raise up someone and send them out, a true worker among souls. And so we're to pray this. Lastly, verse 37, send out workers into his harvest. This is, whose harvest is this? It's his harvest. It's the, it's the, it belongs to him. He's the one that is going to bring in the harvest. That's the promise. Christ uh, said that in John 10. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. They too, they must come in. I will bring them in. Um, But Christ, he didn't say, don't worry. You know, the job will get done. God's sovereign. He's in control. That's true. It will be done. But that's not what Christ said. This was the word that came to his mind. Beseech. Seek God earnestly. Implore God. The situation is desperate. Um, It's unthinkable. It's It's untold. You know, our, our minds could not handle it if we could see the reality, I mean, of what's really going on in the world. I mean, how many are perishing even around us? It says in Second Corinthians um, chapter 5 that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. This is big. I mean, this is my exhortation, my encouragement. This is a big thing to pray for labors to be sent out, to pray for missions, to pray for the perishing multitudes. Um, this ought to weigh heavily upon our hearts. And I, I pray you know, that God would awaken myself and awaken us um, to be earnest about these things, to really be seeking the Lord. Lord, break my heart. Fill me with the same compassion that was in your Son. Burden me. Awake me in the middle of the night to pray for this nation or that nation. So I just want to encourage you, exhort you, challenge you um, to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And we can pray. Father, I do ask you for grace upon our own lives, Lord, that you would make these things real. Lord, I pray 
you would increase our love and burden for the lost. I pray, Lord, you would keep us from any distractedness, from stuff, and from things that would cling to us, Lord. Lord, I pray the things of eternity would be so real, stamped on our eyelids, Lord. We'd see heaven and hell everywhere we go. Lord, I pray we'd see the lost. I pray you'd give us opportunities even as we're living our daily lives here at Walmart or at Hy-Vee. Lord, wherever we are, Lord, to witness of the gospel of the grace of God. Lord, I pray, I pray among our own number, Father, that you would raise up many. Father, I think about how in 20 or 25 years the older generation in this church will probably be gone. Father, and I pray, Lord, that you would use their prayers, you'd use their labors, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would be raising up even young people from here, sending them out, Lord, in various areas and places, Lord, and Lord, even um, in our nation, Lord, that you would again, Lord, send a revival, you'd awaken us, Lord, there'd be a renewed zeal for your cause and for your name and for the lost, Lord, we pray. Lord, help us. Lord, we're so weak, we need you. Father, teach us by your spirit to feel these things and to walk in these things. Help us to pray these things, Lord. We look to you. We thank you for your overwhelming grace upon our own life. We thank you for your intercession for us. Lord, and that you sent laborers to us. I thank you even for the lost ones here, that there's been laborers that have been sent to them to hear the gospel, Lord, and I pray it would bear fruit, there would be a harvest. Lord, even here and among the children of this church, Lord, we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.